Amen. It's good to be back. Uh, we had a uh, trip to Winnipeg. We had an appointment for Noah for his eyes. Um, with Down syndrome at his age, he can have cataracts early on. And so we went to the eye doctor, and all was clear. He's good to go. And uh, yeah, that's really good. So, well done, Beth. He, he was on a six-month return kind of rotation. They said he's fine. He doesn't need to come back for a year. So that was really good. Yeah. And we also went to our, our ACOP retreat, our, our church fellowships uh, district retreat, uh, Pinewood Lodge, which is up in the White Shelf. And it was really good connecting with folks. Randy and Leslie Wangle were there, brought Cheryl Barks, and lots of other people. And Nathan Audrey were able to come. It was great. And it was, it was really, really good. Saw family as well. So it was work and medical appointments and a little bit of a break. Uh, but good to be home. Just in time for winter, it seems. <laughs> so here we are. We're in Northwestern Ontario, so we, we know it's coming, right? This is it. I want to focus today on, on Jesus sending disciples. He's calling them into the mission of the gospel in a pretty hostile world, hey? And I, and I, I want to, I asked Janice if you could read the whole thing. I, I felt like maybe we just read the first 13 verses, but I, I think it's, it's fair to get the whole picture here. Um, it's also Remembrance Day, of course. We're, we're thinking of men and women who laid down their lives or who fought recently as well, in the last hundred years, since in the World War One, but who have fought and returned and had to, had to live with the reality of war and what that's cost them. Um, but, but a mission in a hostile world. Jesus' mission going out in a hostile world. Remembrance Day remembering mission going out in a hostile world. In the same way that Jesus calls the disciples, folks, um, he's called us into mission. And if you're a Christian this morning, he calls you into his ministry. And that might seem strange to you. Maybe you've never thought of that. You'd like to think the pastor is the one that does the ministry. Well, actually, uh, my job is to equip the church, equip you to do the ministry in many ways. Um, and so the, the danger is that we get used to sort of sitting back in our comfy chairs, which are fantastic. Um, but, but to sit back and think, I just kind of, I don't know, I'm an observer, I just sort of watch this thing unfold, but I'm not part of it. Well, Jesus calls us to be part of it, folks, right in the middle of it. And what I want to do is, is draw your attention first uh, to the two stories on either side of Jesus' setting of the disciples. We're going to talk about, about what it means to be a disciple and, and be on mission and the calling that Jesus gives the twelve as, they, as he sends them out. But on either side of that story, Two other stories. And one is Jesus' own rejection in his hometown, right? Uh, where basically they they don't receive him. And on the other side of, of the call of is John's rejection uh, by Herod. And both of those are, are a picture, in many ways, folks, of our own human sin and our own uh, resistance to the gospel of Jesus Christ. One is people resisting Jesus straight up. The other is uh, are people resisting John and what he represents, which is getting people's hearts ready, calling people to repentance to receive Jesus. And so to, to, to kill John sheds a really ominous light on Jesus' own ministry. And of course, you know the end of the story. Spoiler alert, Jesus dies at the end of this, right? Doesn't make it out uh, without experiencing the full wrath of human sin and evil upon him. Of course, it can't keep him down, which is what we celebrate, uh, our resurrected Lord. The point is this. Jesus launches his mission, sends the twelve out, 
And I'm going to make a point today as he sends us out as well into a context that's often very difficult. Like the 12 are sent out with Jesus' own, they just seem like their head guy get rejected, right? On one hand, at the same time as all of this is happening, John gets beheaded, right? And so in the middle of, of the gospel going forth that Jesus said to the disciples, things aren't great. It's not like easy going for them. And yet Jesus sends them out anyway. Like I think if I was rejected in my hometown, which would be this now, uh, you know, I would be kind of morally deflated. You know, I wouldn't really be up for too much for a little bit. I'd be kind of put out. But Jesus doesn't really stop. He just kind of keeps going, right? And there's something here for us, folks. I want to encourage us in this. That whatever your situation is in life, whatever, whatever's going on, I don't know what's going on. Whatever's going on, stuff at home or your health or decisions you have to make or your family or work or school or whatever it is. But most of us likely experience some measure of of difficulty, whether it's straight-up rejection of Jesus and John experience, or oppression, or whatever it might be, things are not always well. Maybe things are awesome for you right now. Fantastic. You just enjoy that week, or day, or whatever awesome period that's going to be, but something will happen at some point. That will be difficult. It just will. The, the, the truth is that Jesus still sends us. The gospel still has relevance and power to change lives even in the midst of difficult circumstances, not when things are just good, but almost especially when things are bad, Jesus still calls us to go. And some of us need, need the courage to be reminded of that, that even though my life feels difficult right now, or I know someone's going through a really difficult time, God is still calling you, calling me, and sending us to go in the love and grace and goodness of Jesus to minister in whatever that situation might be. Does that make sense? So the context might be really tough in life, whatever it might be. It was tough for, for the people that thought. It was tough for the disciples. It might be tough for you and me. And yet we are called folks. And uh, the gospel still has power to change lives, even though we might be facing a very difficult circumstance, whatever that may be. Think for a little bit about what Jesus experiences in his own rejection. Then we'll talk about the sending of the twelve. Uh, there's kind of two things that happen here with Jesus. Uh, he's teaching in the synagogue, and many who hear him are astonished. And look at what they say in verse 2. Uh, verse 2, 3, 4. Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? So two things. They're talking about his mighty words and his mighty deeds, right? The, the God does. And then they ask this. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, brother of James and Joseph and Judas? They're like, we know this kid. Right? We know where he grew up. Who does he think he is? Right? That's, that's basically the subtext. Is we remember when this guy was young. And now he went off and grew a beard. And he's come back. And he's saying stuff. And uh, who does he think he is? I can relate. <laughs> Thankfully, I... I've been received very well in my hometown. Thanks to you. Jesus is, is not. Jesus is not received well. And there's almost a, the talking. I wonder, look at verse 3. Is not this the carpenter of the son of, of uh, Mary, brother of James, that goes through? Not his sisters here with us. They took offense at him. And I almost wonder if there's a little bit of a, uh, a bit of a call back. Like, yeah, wasn't this the kid that maybe didn't have a legitimate birth? 
right? Because there would have been a whole kind of scandal about that around when he was born, because you know, they're thinking Joseph and Mary have Jesus, and they weren't married when Mary was pregnant. So, like, oh yeah, this guy, this guy, this is this guy. And maybe not, maybe not. But, but there's something to that there. We know this family. Who does he think he is? And, and also, how is he getting, how is he able to do this stuff? This wasn't an attack on his character. It was also an attack on his own ability. But think back to, uh, we talked about the parable of the sower just a little, couple weeks ago. And part of the parable of the sower, the whole issue is that the gospel goes out, the message that God loves you, and he, yeah, he's come to rescue you from sin, from death, and, and transform your life, and give you eternal life, that message, falls on all sorts of different hearts, right? <laughs> falls on hearts that are ready to receive that and say, yes, I want to give my life to the Lord, I want to repent and follow him. Fantastic. Uh, it also falls on hearts that are like, yeah, I don't think so. And it falls on hearts that are like, yeah, I'm good. And then tough times come, they're like, yeah, no, Jesus is okay. This is a good example of, of gospel following, following on resistant hearts. Hearts that aren't open to, to the Lord. And it's such a contrast uh, to the hearts that Thelma and he talked about the last two Sundays while we were gone, right? The, the man who's demon possessed whose heart is, is fantastically, just amazingly transformed by, by Jesus, right? Or uh, the woman with the issue of blood, or Jairus' daughter, right? These are hearts that are open to Jesus and, and to the word of God. And then here at home, though, these are resistant hearts. Direct contrast to what you've already seen. So the result of this, you look at verse 5, Jesus uh, will not do his mighty works there. He lays his hands on a few sick people, heals them, and he marvels at their unbelief. It's interesting, isn't it? Jesus doesn't force his miracles on the unbelieving crowd. You would think that would get people. <laughs> you think you would do the miracles to force them to realize who you are? Right? Like that would make sense to you. Let me show you who I really am. Right? Now you'll get it. In fact, they don't. They've already seen you do miracles. They don't. They don't receive. And, and I mentioned this before, but it's a reminder for us that just because you see Something miraculous happens doesn't mean it's going to instantly foster faith in your heart. And Jesus knows that. So he marvels uh, at their unbelief and he doesn't uh, he doesn't push it, he moves on from there. It's this tremendous picture, folks, of, of God's gift of human free will. And the responsibility of that, isn't it? Uh, Jesus doesn't force uh, conversion on these people. Shows them who he is, he reveals his life and his love to them, and they say no. And he lets them have their choice. Um, it's a tremendous gift, our free will, but it's a perilous gift, isn't it? We can choose separation from God. And I encourage you, if you're here this morning, and you're living in a place of separation from God, choose Christ. Choose Christ. Don't live in that place. Choose to come to him. Folks, in our own lives of following Jesus, we can expect to experience rejection. If Jesus experienced it, I think we can experience it too. And the lesson here, like I said, we're going to dig into it in a moment, is just because you and I might experience rejection or, or opposition or hardship from, from people in your life, friends or family, wherever it might be, just because that happens doesn't mean stop living for Jesus. It means push in to live for Jesus. Keep living for Him. In fact, it's almost a it's a sign that you're doing the right thing in some ways. The people are saying, what is up with you? Strange person. 
that you love people this way. Why would you? I don't like it. The sign that you caught a trap. It's not to pompous and loaded about it, but just to say, like, I love Jesus and he calls me to love me. Here we go. Folks, you can expect a measure of, of rejection, but I encourage you to keep planting the seeds of the gospel. Wherever you might be, keep planting those seeds. And I'm certainly listen to Velma's uh, message from two Sundays ago. So good. So good. I uploaded it uh, online and I listened to it. It's really good. I haven't bought seeds yet, but Velma's was just. Really, really good. One of the things she said is, "You have a testimony. You have a testimony uh, to share." She's absolutely right on. And, and same thing here. You have a testimony to share. Maybe in difficult circumstances, wherever God's planted you, it might be tough. You have a testimony to share in that place. And you may feel wherever you've been planted or whatever kind of uh, hand you've been dealt in life is is really difficult. Uh, but be encouraged that the Lord feels He can uh, entrust you with that. And he will be with you in that. He will sort of leave you on your own in that decision or in that place, whatever it might be. So the context of the sending the twelve is really, really difficult. And yet Jesus doesn't stop. just sends them anyway, right? To love these people and call them out of sin into repentance. So let's talk a little bit about the commissioning of the twelve. That's the context. It's, it's tough. Um, life is tough. And I mean, look at the news. Things are tough. Or it's easy to get really overwhelmed by it. There's drug problems and gang violence, you know, all sorts of stuff going on. And it's easy just to go like, man, things are rough. And, and, and feel like God's maybe not present in the middle of that. Or what's God in the midst of this? The reality is God's been present with ordinary people like you and me, calling us to live out his love and his grace and his truth in difficult circumstances for 2,000 years. This is not new, right? This is what the, the first disciples are living out right here. People killing Right? You and I don't have to face that this week, but we do face it. And so you're in good company, and I'm in good company. So God is with me. He was with them in the middle of their difficulty. He's with me. Even, even if I'm reading the news or Facebook too long, and I just get kind of really spun down. It's terrible. Everyone's arguing about politics on time. Something, get out of here. Get out of here. It's good. I want to talk about calling the disciples. I have six. I have six points. I tried so hard to do this right. I have one for each each letter of the word called. <laughs> cool, hey? It's like, oh, so for a long time it was disciple. D I S, and I was like, oh yeah, I have a point for each letter. Just short ones, right? So don't worry. And and, and I had them all, and then I realized I was spelling disciple wrong. <laughs> and I was like, this is so good. And I was reading, I'm like, oh man, that's not. That's a different word. That's not a real word. And, uh, so I had, to, I had to change. Then it was courage for a while, and that made sense. And then it really was really, I was like, you know, really find another point. And this is dumb. No. Call. Talk to Keith McEwen about it. I just do sense, Nick. Four. Four points. It's easy. I said, Keith, I'm already committed. I got six. You know, I, I, had, I was going for eight. I had seven. And I was trying to do no, six. Six. Six points. <laughs> What does it mean to be a disciple? What's it mean to live for Jesus? What's it mean to be on mission? Call, call. So I picked call because it's actually in the, in the passage. This is another thing. Sometimes you can make a little, you know, happy illustration, a little anagraph thing, and then realize the word that you're developing this from isn't even in your passage. So I double checked. Look at verse 7. He called the 12. There. And, then, and then begin to send them. That's key. Yeah, just do sense. It's there. Oh, sorry. 
Folks, how can you and I be reinvigorated and encouraged for our life, the task at hand, living up the gospel, let these disciples work? Six things. How are we called to live up the Christian life? First one, C. C. And if I had a big white one, I'd write a big C. C. What does it mean to be a disciple? Folks, the, the first thing, whatever you're living out, whatever the context is, the disciples are Christ-centered. They're Christ-centered. Their lives are bound up, uh, integrated. They're, uh, I had a professor in a region who would say, we are ensconced in Christ. Which is say, Woo, what does that mean? They're bound up in Jesus, but they're Christ-centered. And I want to think of it this way. Their, their being in Jesus, their life and their relationship with God is the starting point before they get launched into mission. It's easy to get really busy living for God and thinking, I have lots of good spiritual things that God will do, and I'm just busy doing things, while you miss out on spending time with Jesus. And it goes back, we talked about this earlier this year, I think. We're talking about simplicity, but I don't know when we did this, we're talking about Mary and Martha. And it's easy to have very active Martha kind of lives. We're busy doing important, good things for Jesus. But we miss out on the most important thing, which is sitting Jesus. And Jesus tells Martha, basically, slow down, Mary's chosen the better thing. And too many of us are addicted to our work or to our busyness in ministry, whatever that may be, and we miss out on actually spending time with Jesus. And, and I'm in that boat too. I can get caught up and I need to prepare this sermon and you know, research this passage instead of saying, Lord, let me just spend time with you in this word before I try and give it to others. In fact, I watched a video once of a guy talking about burnout in ministry. One of the things he said is, I got so used to, to making, you know, reading the Bible for message making. So I read the Bible and I was good at kind of giving it out to people, but I stopped doing this. I was busy doing this, but I stopped doing this. Stopped spending time with Christ. Folks, to be on mission means to be in Jesus. So think of it this way. The, the vertical dimension of your life, of being in God, that has to be there first before you live out the horizontal dimension, which is living out uh, your faith with people, right? There's a loving God and loving neighbor, but don't just, don't just go to the loving neighbor part. You need to make sure you're loving God first, that you're in Him. And this is key for us as leaders. If you're a home group leader or you're leading a ministry of some kind in the church, folks, this is so important for us to remember. We, we lead out of our life in Jesus and out of our rest in Jesus. And we, need to, we need to get that right first. And it's hard to do because there's a lot of good things in this going about doing. Now, for those of you that are leading community groups, be sure you're in the Word with God, with Jesus, before you're trying to lead a discussion about Him. And it's so, so hard, uh, easy to get that switched and hard sometimes to, to relearn that habit. But it's so important for us. Think of John uh, 15, 5. Jesus says it this way, in terms of being Christ-centered. Uh, I'm the vine, you're the branches, right? Whoever abides in me and I in him. So living in, in Jesus, be in Christ. If you're in him, then he says, he it is that bears much fruit. Do you see the connection, right? Your life, your being in Jesus that spills out into action, and into, yeah, into loving others to bearing fruit, into success in ministry of life, whatever that might be. But apart from me, and this is Jesus' words in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. 
to be in Christ. And from that place, you can bear fruit. Then Jesus says, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. So Jesus wants us folks to go and to live out the gospel in our, in our workplaces, in our marriages, in all the various spheres of life, to go and to live that out, to love our neighbors, to invite people into God's family. But we can only do that well if we're first abiding in Him. Make sense? Yes. No. Okay, good. That's the C. This way. C on the sign language. Rome. C, Dad. Not like this. Like this. C. C, Christ centered. Second thing, A. These are the steps we're called. First, they're centered in Christ. Secondly, A, they have an attitude of compassion. They have an attitude. That's my A. Attitude of compassion. If you read this study of the 12 in Matthew's Gospel, it comes in Matthew 9, and it comes right after this point where Jesus is looking at the crowds and it says he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And I want to suggest both that the disciples are modeling as they go two by two and they're, they're visiting different towns and stuff. They're, they were centered in Christ before they go out. They have an attitude of compassion. They have to model Jesus' compassion and care for others. And notice they, uh, Jesus says, the, the, the sons of the sheep that are shepherd. They kind of look like shepherds, right? He kind of says, don't bring a lot with you. You know, wear saddles. Don't bring, can't really bring anything. Just kind of go. Uh, they look very pastoral. My question for us is, first of all, you know, to be centered in Christ, but secondly, does, does compassion mark your heart? Does compassion mark your heart? And the good way to foster compassion in your heart is to recall compassion that God's shown you. And you know, folks, I think we've done this really well as a church in many ways, maybe not the best, but I, I was thinking about the compassion that we've been able to show those of you involved in health ministry. Uh, Preparing meals for people that, that could use that house. Well done. That's great. You've done a great job. Thank you for doing that. Uh, let's celebrate that. I was also thinking of when we had uh, our friend Maureen. How many of you remember Maureen? She was the lady who lived in the bush for two months this summer. And uh, had some great conversations with Maureen. And in the end, Maureen uh, chose not to receive help. She had her own free will. And the last we saw, she was walking without her bed. This was a few months ago now. And we pray often. Marie as well. And it's not helpful, whatever she might be. But we, I was so proud of, of you as a church that we really showed compassion for Marie. Well, I think, you know, uh, some of us maybe said, oh, could we have done better? And, and yes, we all wish that maybe it had had a different outcome, that she had you know, to get help <coughs> around a bit, but um, that didn't happen. But from what I saw from those of you that interacted with her, I saw nothing but the love of Jesus being poured out on her. And it was really cool to see. Uh, especially that it had all come from me. Uh, there was moments where I was doing something and I saw someone else just inviting her in. She'd been coming for a bit, but just inviting her to come to see, you know, praying for her. It was good. Just compassion mark your heart. So for, for whatever you're being sent into, folks, uh, just like these disciples, are you in Christ? Do you have an attitude of compassion? Third thing, the disciples, they're lifelong learners. This is the first L of Paul. They're lifelong learners. Before they are sent on mission, these guys are students. Right? They're disciples. Literally disciples. They're learners. They're students before they're leaders. Um, 
good leaders that I know, best leaders I know, don't really stop being students. Um, and it's a sign of, of pride, I think, in some ways, when we start to think that we're, we don't need to learn anything else. We've got this. Thank you. Uh, some of the best leaders are willing to say, I don't know what's going on. You need to show me because you know better than I do. We need to be lifelong experience of Jesus, folks. And that means not just uh, being in him in terms of prayer, but studying his word together, being equipped in him, being in fellowship with people who can, who can sharpen you, like iron sharpens iron, right? being with people who can keep you centered in Christ. Uh, two people in my life that were instrumental uh, in teaching me how to love the word of God. One was uh, Lauren Miller, who's the president at Eston College, when I was doing my undergrad, and he just hugged everybody. This was his thing. Uh, if you kind of walk down the lane, you just hug a student. I mean, the student wanted to hug, but it was like he was just, you know, attacking. <laughs> uh, but he was just willing. He was just willing to hug people. And he just had this kind of unconditional love for the people. And uh, it was just a tremendous example of how much God loves us, even when we are broken and really behind on work and uh, missing deadlines, you know, or whatever it might be. But, but here was Lauren just hugging people. And, uh, and then other, another one was Dave Smalder. In my undergrad, Rick Watts was my New Testament professor at Regent. And they both so loved Jesus and so loved the Bible. And I remember being in class at Old Testament with Mavis or being in Gospel with John with Rick. And we don't be crying. They were crying. We were studying the Bible just in tears because it was just so good. And, and because Jesus really loves me this much. And it's true. It's true. And my prayer for us as we are centered in Christ, that we gain an attitude of compassion for folks that we would never stop being lifelong learners. That we'd be humble, willing uh, to be put aside our own pride and let God uh, birth something new in us again. Second Timothy 3 says this, But as for you, this is Paul to Tim, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned. Continue in what you've learned. Continue with what you've learned. You know who's passed that on to you. Continue with what you've learned. So, Christ-centered, attitudes of compassion, lifelong learning. The second L, these guys are sent out in pairs, two by two. They really need to lean on each other. That's my second L, lean on each other. Uh, they're not sent solo, Right? The danger in a lot of our church cultures is, is we start doing ministry in that kind of siloed way. I'm just kind of off on my own with my small group. I'm off my own, whatever it might be, doing this, and, and no one's around me. And I start feeling isolated. I'm, I'm kind of on my own. But there's something really good and God-given about teamwork, folks. Teamwork. And uh, I've really tried to do this with our own leadership teams, is to work together well. The, the thing I want to I want to I want us to realize too about disciples in this case is, is they're just ordinary people. It's easy to think of these guys as some sort of spiritual superheroes, but they're not. They're just ordinary people. They're like you and me, and they need to lean on each other for the mission that God's given them. Folks, the same way we need to lean on each other. Um, many of us in this room, if we we're honest, struggle with loneliness or depression, or anxiety, or whatever that may be. I know I do many times. And uh, we need each other. We need each other to encourage and to keep us uh, 
keep us focused on what we need to do. First Thessalonians says, encourage one another. Build one another up just as you are doing. Keep doing it. The other thing that disciples have to do is they have to lean on the hospitality of others. Did you notice that? Like, they don't have reservations at the Holiday Inn on the, the place they're going to. It's like someone will open their home to you, hopefully. And you go in there and you make yourself at home. And if they don't, that's not choose your feet. It's not to say that you are judging them, but just saying, I leave them in God's hands. That's what that's about. So our own culture as a church, folks, is that we, we need to be in team together, but we need to lean on each other. And if you're here this morning and you feel really kind of abandoned and alone, uh, reach out to someone. Find someone you can talk to. Lean on someone. Have someone that can help you get back uh, into fellowship and back into being with, with Jesus again. You feel that sense of belonging again. So, so important. All right, last two. My E and my D. My E is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Their mission is to preach the gospel. But what, what do you notice right away? He calls the 12, verse 7. Gave them authority over unclean spirits. Like, there you go. <laughs> That's what you're going to do. You're going to preach repentance. You're going to have authority over unclean spirits. And you're going to heal people. Off you go. <laughs> have fun. And they, they do, right? And that's why I had Janice read verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus, told them all that they had done, and taught. Verse 31, which is so good. Jesus says to them, after all the work, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Thank you, Lord, for permission to rest after hard work. That's what that's about. But folks, how are we, as the church, who are called to do these same things, to have authority over our spirits, to pray for healing, to preach with boldness, the gospel of Jesus Christ. How are we going to do any of that? Is it just by drumming up some more courage and kind of hoping we feel better? No. By the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Acts 4 says this, And now, Lord, look upon their threats, grant your servants, and continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Folks, we need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to live out our lives as Christians. We need that. And we're going to pray at the end of our service for a fresh empowerment of the Holy Spirit to live out that call of life. Our last thing is, uh, is deed. They're Christ-centered. They've been active in compassion. They're lifelong learners. They're leaning on each other. They're empowered by the Spirit. Finally, they're totally dependent on God. Totally dependent on God. They need to rely on God for provision. I don't know about you. I've had to rely on God for provision in my life. They have to rely on Him for protection. Yep. They have to rely on Him for wisdom, for how they're going to live this out. Yep. <laughs> Sign me up. I need all these things. Right. My guess is you do too. They're carrying out the mission of God. Not just a, a marketing technique or a sort of branding slogan thing. Come join Jesus. Woohoo! It's just the mission of God in the world to transform and redeem us from our sin, from death, and bring us into life, wholeness, and joy, and holiness again. We need to depend on God. So, folks, of these six things being Christ centered, having attitudes of compassion, lifelong learners, Leaning on each other, think of that as team and hospitality, being empowered by the Spirit, 
being dependent on God for provision and direction. I just want to ask, of those six things, which which is standing up to you? Do you feel like you need to take time this week to just get get right with God again, get centered in Him again? Or maybe you feel there's been a hardness in your heart towards people. You don't know where that comes from, but you just compassion is not there. Maybe you need to lean into that this week. Maybe maybe you've uh, become kind of feel kind of proud. You've sort of plateaued in your Christian faith. You haven't really learned anything new in a while. Maybe maybe you need to lean on Jesus and let him let him teach you some things. Maybe you've been isolated. You need to lean on one another. Maybe you've been trying to go about all this on your own, but you need a fresh empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And maybe you're just feeling really lost this morning and need some wisdom and some grace and some hope from God. You need to be dependent on Him. Whatever that might be, we're going to pray. Uh, Lord, close the eyes. And I want to ask in closing, where is God calling you? See, all these disciples are they're paired off, they're sent out. It's a short-term mission thing. They're sent out, they come back. You know, folks, I, I've seen many churches, the Anglican Church has this. Um, there's a little sign off on the doors as people are leaving saying, you're now entering the mission field. Right? Have you seen that in churches as you're leaving? Uh, when we were at uh, in Winnipeg for an event for, for Noah, the church had that. As you were as a, like a little parking thing, as you were heading out the driveway, it was right there. You're now entering the mission field. If I do this, you're going to hit that hit somebody else. It'll be a mission field, all right? So you're kind of merge. Ooh, careful. But that's the truth. Where are you being called to? This is short-term missions these disciples are on, and in some ways, you're on short-term mission for seven days now until we get back together on Sunday, right? Where's God calling you? Can you be centered in Him, compassionate in Him, leaning on one another, empowered by the Spirit? Whatever that is, be in your own heart, that resonates. Let's pray to that end and, uh, and pray that the Lord would open our hearts for Whatever it might be that we encounter this week, and again, like I said at the beginning, it could very well be a difficult context that is placed you in. Let's pray. Let's pray. The Lord's empowering His grace for you, for whatever you might encounter this week. Let's pray together.